0: This is The Hindu on Books, a weekly podcast from India's national newspaper on the latest and the best from the world of literature.
1: Hello and welcome to another edition of The Hindu on Books podcast. I'm your host, D. Sampath. A lot of people love traveling. Typically, people travel, uh, from what I've observed, for three reasons. One, to see new places to experience new cultures, and to get away from their daily routine. Now, there is a fourth kind of traveler who is not talked about that much. This is the traveler who travels to eat animals and birds they've never eaten before, to drink brews and beers they've never drunk before, and then to tell the rest of the world where and how to go about eating and drinking life forms they've never consumed before. Zach Oya belongs to the fourth category But his latest book also offers you so much more. It is hilarious. It is brilliant in the way it interweaves books and writers and bookshops into tales, sometimes tall tales, about hotels and forts and bondas. Digesting India, a travel writer's subcontinental adventures with the tummy. That's the name of his latest book. And for Zach, this comes in the wake of several books of fiction, including the famous Hari Majestic Trilogy that he's most known for in India. Without further ado, let's welcome Zach and also his traveling companion, his tummy, to this podcast. Those of you who have tuned in, do sit back, take a bite of your favorite chili and hopefully you'll enjoy this conversation. So Zach, my first question for you. Your book is titled Digesting India, but your prologue is all about your failure to digest India. Why is that? Is it because you also wanted to convey that India can be too much to digest for European palates?
0: I mean, there's uh, multiple issues I have with this question. I mean, one is like uh, I had a very nice lunch today in a uh, Goan-style restaurant and I feel like burping for the rest of the day. I mean, it's not a problem to digest Indian food because, come on, Indian food is wonderful. I just felt total bliss walking out of there. I may in the book mention some um, occasions when when my tummy and myself and the restaurant were not totally in agreement, but that's like a bit like i mean you have to take it as a as a professional eater, which is my job um sometimes I mean it goes wrong. You spend a lot of time uh,
1: in praise of next along with your tummy, your your fourth traveling companion. From what I can make out, is emodium. I mean, why is that?
0: Ah, so tummy is a very important part of the body. Actually, like um, I think for most people, maybe it's not that important, but for in a professional sense, tummy is uh, a central part of the body. Like uh, I think maybe my brain is a little bit more important, but tummy is second most important. So, there's that uh, whole thing of, like, if you actually, you're, I mean, one's job is to eat and one job, one's job is to eat Indian food. And there's, like, you know, like, a lot of spices, a lot of, they can be, like, if you go to restaurants restaurant, at, at, actually, Indian home cooking is extremely wholesome and there's Ayurvedic cooking and there's various things. But, like, generally, if you eat in restaurants, there's uh, quite a lot of uh, chili, quite a lot of oil, quite a lot of uh, all kinds of uh, dangerous things like nuclear waste might be there and, and all kinds of um, things that uh, might destroy you. So as a professional eater, one has to be very cautious. And I've been dealing with that. Like when I was younger, it was okay. Like your stomach is like, it's like a total steel fortress. You can eat anything. But as I started becoming more sophisticated, which means that I actually grew older in a, I mean, it's a sort of way of saying that I grew older, that I grew more sophisticated. In that sense, it's... um, I mean, people were telling me, oh, they have irritable bowel syndrome after eating too much Indian food. So I also started feeling that, oh, I should also have irritable bowel syndrome. And, you know, it becomes like a thing that you start getting more uh, cautious about food, especially like I've been traveling and writing about food for 30 years. So it, it can get hazardous. No, Some people die from overeating. Like I've luckily I'm still alive. Of course, if I die from overeating South Indian food, I hope I will be reborn as a South Indian, and then I can do it again.
1: Right. I mean, I think there is uh, some latest scientific research does indicate that those who die from overeating South Indian food uh, there is some I think above seventy percent chance that they might be reborn as South Indian, so you stand a good chance there. Yeah, now uh, I, yeah, 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 I think you are on the right track uh, on that count. Thank you so much for 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 guiding me. Yes, I will guide you in your next birth if I am also born in, as a South Indian. But I would rather be born as a Swede. Anyway, that's a separate conversation. Now coming to uh,
0: yeah, the 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 other maybe you should point out in the interview that I'm Sweden from Sweden. I'm Swedish.
1: Yeah, no, I think most people know that you are uh, Swede, uh, Swedish, uh, like half Swedish. You are born in Finland, right?
0: Yeah, yeah. yeah. Right. I mean, let's say like uh, Switzerland. I mean, it sounds almost the same. It's like they know where all these Bollywood films are shot, Switzerland. So it's nearby, next door.
1: Right, I think Sweden is Switzerland the way Karnataka is Madras uh, for all North Indians. Okay. Right, all That's South right. Indians right. are Madrasis. Correct. Right, right. Okay, Zach, I was just wondering about this claim you're making. You're saying that the final step, quote-unquote, of any trip is dissemination, which means unless you are able to disseminate your experiences, uh, your trip is not complete. So I'm just curious, if someone were to tell you that you can travel all you want, wherever you want, but you can't write a word about it, or tell anyone about your travels. Would you still want to travel if nobody knows, will never know that you've been traveling? Will you still want to travel?
0: This is probably the most difficult existential question that anybody has put to me in my whole lifetime. So I, uh, um, it'll take me a lifetime to properly respond to it, of course. But uh, like in my own case, travel lighting is a job. So I've been doing it for a living for decades and all that. But I also noticed that uh, in this modern culture, which uh, uh, includes these Instagrammers and, and influencers, everything is like you're not actually traveling, but you're documenting your traveling. So I have seen that becoming more and more of a thing. And I think it's, Probably influenced by by us travel writers. Like, I am bil- I mean, I mean that older generation of travel writer. I'm been writing for all the travel magazines in the world and and uh, writing books and stuff like that. So uh, these new in a new generation, it also plays out the same thing. Like, if you go to a restaurant in in some foreign country immediately you will Instagram or WhatsApp a snap of your whatever is on your plate. So I think that uh, dissemination is a very important part of travel. And of course, like uh, one can travel without sharing one's travel memories. But from a historical point of view, it's a really important thing. Like uh, we only know about the history of the world through the records made by you know, people, like 2,000 years ago, people wrote about India. Like, Alexander the Great came to Delhi to meet you, for example, and and, and shake hands and all kinds of things. So, um, so you have that sort of vast material of people who have been travel writing for millennia. I think it's really important in a sense, like, we, from... Uh, The disseminated uh, travel writing, we can uh, actually look at. uh, I mean, we can find material about countries like long ago, like what India was like two thousand years ago, or something like that, just because somebody came here or or any other country. So I think it's a it's a kind of a duty to share that information and. and then inspire other people to travel, and uh, right. also provide material right. for you know historical research. Like like, I mean, like the book I've just written, maybe hundred years from now, somebody will say that oh, this is very interesting. Like uh, look at what this fellow wrote about how food culture was like at this time.
1: Right. Right, and uh, I mean, I, I was more interested in your personal motivation. Of course, travel writing is a huge treasure trove of uh, facts and stories, and you know, knowledge and information about cultures and so many things about a place. But I was just worried. I mean, if I, I mean, in my case, for example, if uh, I've been to this city. And I didn't tell anyone about it. I've never talked about it. Mm-hmm. I never uh, tick- clicked even a single picture about it. This is the first time I'm talking about it. And I can't tell you which city this is. Because if I tell you, the whole thing will go. You know, So nobody will ever know that I went to this city. Huh, Bangalore. Because I'm never going to write about it or even say its name. Huh.
0: So it's Bangalore, I guess.
1: <laughs> no, it's not Bangalore. No, it's not Bangalore. It's uh, Anyway, I'm not, we're not going to play 20 questions about which city. But I'm just saying that. In that sense, I'm the anti-travel writer, as in I travel, but don't write about my travels um. or Instagram it. And I don't know, maybe there is some value to this as well, you know, because people don't want to always uh, look at other people's uh, great experiences like I often wonder why is it that you don't get to sit in one desk Mm -hmm. have a job nine to six don't go anywhere Mm -hmm. just Mm -hmm. sit in front of your laptop all the time why didn't you spend 40 years like that you know why do you get to travel and have beer and drink uh, all kinds of stuff uh, spend one month in this continent Mm -hmm. and as in that's not fair isn't it mean
0: how you you feel that now it's unfair that I wrote this book and you didn't but I mean, that's like... I just a- find it difficult to digest, that's all. Yeah. Ah. So, but the thing is that um, ultimately, like, one doesn't have to write about everything one does. No, Travel is like anything, like doing the laundry. One doesn't have to write a novel every time one does the laundry or like a non-fiction book about going to the toilet. You don't have to do that. And even in my case, like, I have... I think once, at least I travel without writing about it. But, you know, there is something about writing about one's travel which is actually very important and it's a factor that uh, you can actually inspire other people to expand their horizons. There are a lot of people who are like very, you know, they would not go anywhere. If you write about something, There's been like, I have, I've had experiences like one of the arts academies in, uh, in Delhi. I just walked in there, like I habitually do, like I checked arts, I I look at art and all that. And I saw some fellow, he was reading a book or something like, and I looked at closer at the book and I noticed it was my book. So my book had led him there. And uh, another occasion, it was like, I was walking, I was just walking through some jungle path in Karnataka and there was uh, a fellow with binoculars and things and he was reading through a National Geographic article I had written on this jungle. So you spot those things like where you kind of influence the people and I've even had like I step into some restaurant, some like little place. And the owner says like, Oh, you know, after you wrote about us, we had to get chairs because people want to come and sit and eat. Earlier it was like a stand-up place in a a bazaar. He somehow figured out that I had written about it and he got very excited that, Oh, our business went up so much, you know, like can't believe people came and read the newspaper where you wrote and... and, uh, now our family is doing very well, so there's that that dissemination. Like you, you can you can actually change. Right, of yeah, yeah, yeah. Both you can change the world vision of the reader, and you can change the life of the person you write about.
1: Right, there is this special kind of power which writers uh, enjoy, and which travel writers specifically enjoy. This those two aspects you just pointed to. About the influence you have on those who read as well as on those you write about. And in this context, I think a lot of these things happen, I'm sure, uh, with the city you've adopted as your own, but which is also a travel destination or a break journey of yours, uh, which is Bangalore. And this is uh, your chapter on Bangalore, is one I really enjoyed uh, reading, partly because I never go there. And in this chapter, you argue, if I remember right, I read this chapter like several hours ago. You you write that Bangalore was founded by people who are interested in two things, beer shops and bookshops. I mean, can you share
0: some of the evidence that drove you to this conclusion? Uh, Bangalore was founded by a fellow who enjoyed um, baked beans. Long before there was beer and books or anything. It has always been a trading hub because it sort of sits on the midway between, you know, the um, like, right in, in the middle of the Deccan and the Coromandel coast is on that side and Kanara coast is on that side, uh, Kerala there, and so it's been a, always like a center of the world. Even before it was a center of the world, it was actually the center of the world. So it's only logical that. Um, uh, later in development, as the city grew, uh, it uh, and became like a modern town. It uh, became the center of production of beer and uh, also, uh, although it's not a center of publishing in India, it's still like, the, I think the bookshop capital of India, one could fairly much say so because the bookshops of Bangalore are totally amazing. Like, I mean, you... If you went on uh, like one stretch of road called Church Street in Bangalore, you would not believe your eyes like how many bookshops and how much books are sold there. It's like a, totally unbelievable. Like I think nowhere uh, in the these world. Bookshops, world. Uh, these
1: bookshops insulated from the Amazon effect as it were, which have sort of Completely. Uh, no, gobbled up I mean, bookshops
0: like, in other they cities. Like, uh, they, it's like they're like to t- tourist attractions. Uh, you might go to Thailand to looks for sex you might go to Amsterdam to look for drugs you can come to Bangalore to look for books I mean the same thing like it's on that level as a city trade the book shopping in Bangalore is it's, it's completely incredible it's like unbelievable that you have a, a place like this anywhere in the world which is your
1: favorite bookshop or uh, to go your go to place for books in Bangalore.
0: I mean, I go to all the bookshops and I, I, all the bookshop owners know me very well, and we all love each other. Not I enjoy all the bookshops uh, there. In but uh, there's a particular area called Church Street where you have many of them, and around town you have also other bookshops like uh, Atagalata, which means like uh, what a mess. Uh, which is in Indira Nagar. It's a very nice bookshop also. So the city is full of bookshops who are, and they, they all have a sense of, you know, I don't know how to explain it. Like there's a love for books in Bangalore that in other countries, you go to whatever, China or uh, Russia or America, you won't find that same kind of bookshops that you find in Bangalore.
1: Right. You know, in this chapter on 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 Bangalore, what, what really uh, sort of caught me was your love for books. And, you know, you talk about how certain cafes and bookshops had, uh, was patronized by so many writers we love. You talk about Anantamurthy and a few other writers who go to Koshis and so on. And after that, uh, you talk about, uh, I, 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 may be, I might be getting the sequence confused, but then uh, from books what really struck me was your uh, love hate relationship with bonda so love for bonda i can understand i'm sure all our listeners can understand but why did you break off your physical relationship with bonda can you talk a little bit about how that happened
0: i mean you know how bonda is like it's a bonda you no know, like it's like the best thing you can ever eat but it was um I remember I used to eat it uh, almost every day, like when I was taking a walk and I was passing something and all that. I was influenced a lot by R.K. Narayan. He was writing about bonda. Many of his books contain references to bonda and how sinful it is. You know? So I, I, I thought, oh, this is like uh, my way to connect with Arkan Narayan and his novels with bonda. But uh, at some point, you know, like these deep fried things, it's a bit like, you know, you put on too much weight around your waist. And so I started looking like a bonda. So I I I, I felt that uh, maybe I should look more like a, a chili budgie
1: you know i i I've, I've read a lot of RK Narayan, not just because my name is sampath but you know even for other reasons and it never struck me that bonda was such an important uh, sub theme in his works i think you refer to bonda in the guide uh, some like this guy who is hungry and is dreaming of bonda and you compare yourself to this guy
0: yes yes so uh, like it's there for example in the guide right? it's like a theme that runs through the book when he especially when he's Starving in the end when he's uh, self mortificating. Um, he, uh, he's dreaming of Bondas and all these things. And also, like in several of his other stories and books, there's references to Bondas. So, and Bondas are, are like, it's the most amazing junk food in the world. It's like better than McDonald's anytime. And all these. Foreign things, but um, yeah. So, uh, so it's there in his books, and he. I think he uses it also in a kind of slightly naughty manner. Like he suggests that oh, this uh, fellow who is uh, like in a novel guide is uh, fasting, but he's dreaming of bonda, which is like a bit like a, a naughty thing to think of when you're fasting. So I think like Arayan thought it that way, you know, like you do that sort of a dramatic idea in the book where uh, a fellow starving is just like completely obsessed with um, having the bonda that he used to have, like he used to have it habitually when he, before he, he, he in the book, like when you in the early part of the book. And then in the end it comes towards that climax of the novel, then um his obsession of Bonda grows and I mean and obviously I got caught by that. Right.
1: I mean I, I, I think this your the entire episode around Bonda I think for me captures the uh, in a sense the unique style that you bring to Travel writing. I had this really meta experience reading about it. Like, on you also not only talk about Bonda, you also talk about how R.K. Narayan, when he was writing about this character dreaming of Bonda while starving, was himself, uh, I think, far away from any Bonda, right? He was in California or something and he wanted to eat South Indian food, he couldn't get it. He was dreaming of Bonda while writing about this character dreaming of Bonda. And then you are writing about this character dreaming about Bonda yourself while you want to cut down on Bonda because you are becoming a Bonda yourself. And I was reading it and my mouth was watering Mm. for Bonda as well. I think this is exactly what uh, uh, digesting India (laughs) uh, could uh, lead to. Uh, Did you have all this in mind when you set out writing about Bonda?
0: No, I mean, it wasn't planned like that, but uh, I mean, the way you put it is really appropriate because the whole book is basically about this thing. It's not, I mean, it's not about Bonda, the whole book, but it's about a sort of culturally relating to Indian food kind of thing. So in many ways, uh, the book sort of grew around this idea of, because you know, like there, there are like books about Indian food, that are all like cookbooks and all wonderful Indian food recipes and all that, which is fine. And then there are books about people traveling and eating some random things and all that. Usually, when I write books, I think like, oh, isn't there something missing here? So I thought like, oh, why don't I write this book, which is like about this. How in a cultural way we can relate to Indian food, you know, like in an intelligent way, and not which is not just about like oh so much chili. You know, I
1: you are right that you know most books about food in India are about food in India. You know, they are about they have recipes or they have uh, some history of uh, food culture, uh, you know, hist- food history kind of stuff. You know, and then there is a travel writing, you know, of the Pankaj Mishra kind, Butter Chicken in Ludhiana. I think he wrote something. I don't know if I haven't read it. So I don't know if it's a travel book or a food book or is it like yours. But yours combines travel and food and literature and humor. I think this is a very uh, rare combo uh, to find. And that's what I think really I enjoyed. Now, you said this book is not all about Bonda. I agree. It's also about Bundy. Can you talk about Bundy? How you landed up there? You said you landed up there and people sort of uh, pelted you with camel shit. Oh, yeah, yeah, I did it. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, what did you do to provoke
0: them? Nothing, nothing. I mean, I was like uh, just walking through the road. It's a very nice place actually, you know. And uh, this place in Rajasthan is um, its a very small, it used to be a very small princely uh, state. And uh, Rudyard Kipling, uh, he actually went there, and uh, it's believed that uh, his, uh, one of his most best-selling novels after his Jungle Book, which is called Kim, he started writing from his experience there. So, uh, I went there just like that and by, I mean, I didn't know Kipling had gone there. I just happened to break journey there and. And it was a very nice place, actually the minister of the state had a very nice bungalow which I, by chance I found it wasn't very expensive to stay overnight there and so I stayed overnight there and they made like a very nice dinner for me, full wonderful Rajasthani vegetarian food and, and this was like an extremely beautiful experience. But then when I was walking in the streets around the uh, hotel, was, uh, uh, they were like children so well. I think they, it's their hobby, you know, to see a foreigner or tourist, they throw camel turds. So uh, I had to duck a lot. Like, I mean, my clothes got a bit spoiled. So that happened. I mean, it's not a big deal. Like, I forgive them. I mean, I are children, know they want to throw shit on me. It's like, I mean, children. That is very, uh, so that's very generous of you. Throw yes, shit yeah. at you, no? So it's like, you
1: no. Know, if I go to Sweden and if they throw, I don't know what turd children throw at Indian tourists in Sweden, but if they throw, I don't know, dolphin turd at me, I
0: I wouldn't take it so kindly. Ah, you know. This maybe caught uh, turd. Yeah. I mean they eat cod in Sweden. Oh, okay, cod, yeah, but,
1: yeah. Uh, I, I think cod third is liquid, no? I don't do I don't think cod Yeah, turd it'll be is solid more like fruit caviar fruit.
0: that they throw at you in Sweden, actually. They'll eat it then if it's caviar. No caviar, no, like they'll
1: throw caviar at you, no, these children. Oh, okay, they'll throw caviar at me. Yeah, yeah okay. So yeah. That's then like
0: I, uh, I mean the that you can eat. Okay,
1: right. okay. no, sorry. I, I thought you meant that cod, turd is like caviar. I wouldn't... No, know. no, I mean like
0: uh, if it's caviar they throw at you, then you uh, carry your tiffing carrier and you bring it home. It's uh, like really good.
1: Right, that's a good travel tip, uh, Zach. I'll note it down in my diary. Now, this from Bundi, going back to your Rajasthan part of your book. I mean, this book, uh, for those who haven't yet checked it out, it, it covers like different uh, different uh, regions of mm-hmm. India uh northeast Gujarat, I mean the west, the south, the, the central part and another part of the south and so on. So in Rajasthan, uh, Zach, you go to this village called Rohit village and you check into this room where uh, all kinds of writers from Bruce Chatwin to Dalrymple, Simon Winchester, Patrick French, all of them book themselves into the same suite and they sat at the same desk and then they produced masterpieces. So what's so different or special about this room and can you tell us how aspiring Indian writers can also go to this room, sit at that desk and produce a novel that can win them the Pulitzer booker, etc.?
0: In the first place, it's a, it's a, actually a room. I mean, it's not like a very uh, posh hotel or lodge or anything, but it's a kind of a room in an old Rajasthani mansion, which is... Um, it's kind of spacious. There's a desk and there's a little bit of a, um, but it's uh, kind of very regular, it's not like five star or anything. And uh, but all these people have been staying there ever since Bruce Chatwin set foot there. So uh, when I met uh, this fellow who owns the place, who is the he was like the not the Maharaja or but like a I think they call it Thakur in that area. Of that, uh, Thakur, yeah. Of that uh, princely state. I mean, he used to be a feudal uh, ruler. And then, uh, after feudalism got over, uh, you know, like when India got independence, it sort of, kind of, the whole feudal system was dismantled. And uh, he is. I mean, he's a very intelligent fellow, so he started working as a history teacher instead. So, he was a history teacher and then uh, somehow uh, Bruce Chatwin, who was the first writer to stay in that room, um, met him. And then, like, uh, he was, so he was a history teacher in Mayo College in Ajmer. Bruce Chatwin came to Ajmer and uh, then said something like, oh, I, I, I would like a room to sit and write. So this uh, Thakur, he uh, said like, oh, I have a palace down there and uh, you come and write your book there. And so he was put up in that room and then, uh, you know, by and by it became more and more like everybody, every writer wanted to stay in that room and this Thakur uh, turned it into a hotel. So now it's a hotel, so actually anybody can stay in that particular room. But I should not call it a hotel, it's like a, it's like a home. It's, but it has a, you use it as a hotel, but it's like a old style palace type of place. And in fact, Madonna also stayed in in that hotel. But she wanted a room where she could have a view of the horses in the stable. Because they brew these Marwari uh, horses. So, it's like a... It's kind of a place where... It's not like... It's not terribly expensive to stay there. But like very humble place to stay.
1: Right. So, this this is that
0: Alila place. Alila Bishan no, 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 no. This is a... There's a Roshan Gurd. It's a it's, a, it's oh. a very small hotel in the couple of, uh, like one hour south from Jaipur, two hours out south from Jaipur.
1: Okay. I think readers can read your book and find out more details about it. Now, I want to go back south again because I forgot to ask you something. You have a chapter called Looking for Mal <laughs> right? And this is a travel book. Yeah. And I also read in your book that you met RK Narayan at his home. So, when you met him, did he not tell you that you will never find Malgudi because it's not a real place? And you still went about looking for Malgudi? Like you discussed Itli Dosa with him, with RK Narayan. I read read that section with great interest. But did you discuss Malgudi with him? See,
0: he told me very clearly to not ask him a single question. Oh, okay. Like um, How long back was your meeting with R.K. Narayan? It was like before he passed away. So I had a uh, letter communication with him. And uh, because he he wasn't into email. So I had sent some letter. He sent some letter back that uh, once you reach Chennai, let me know. Then when I came to Chennai to meet him, I called him and uh, and he said that uh, you know this is like a very complex thing to explain. But he said like I can't meet
1: you. <laughs> okay.
0: So uh, and I was in one of those phone booths. You no, know, those days they were you were in phone booth. There was no like
1: yes. Targeting. Yesterday I see Yesterday, Yeah, so yeah. i was
0: standing in one of those things. uh steaming hot. And I traveled, I mean, I've flown to, from Sweden to Chennai to interview him uh, for a newspaper. And he said, like, I can't meet you. I said, like, uh, oh, oh, that's very sad. Um, okay, then I'll fly back to Sweden. He said, oh, but wait, wait. wait. And uh, I said, yeah, what? He said, "Where uh, are staying in Chennai?" I said, "I'm staying in uh, Purissavalkam." Or one of those areas. Purissavalkam. Oh. Um, he was like, "Oh, oh," and he asked me, "Like, what are you eating?" I said, "I'm eating dosa and uh, idli." And then he said that, "Oh, okay," um, and you yeah, you are not staying in an AC hotel? I said, "No, no, no, no." So, then he said, okay, come home. So, uh, come home in one hour. I'll meet you, but don't ask any questions. And don't bring any tape recorder, don't bring any... this thing." So, then I... It was just like, you know, like a very amazing moment because he invited me home to see him. And uh, then I went there and then I... He spent a few hours together, and uh, we were not talking about his books and where is Malgudi or anything because he he clearly made it, uh, that uh, made it clear that he didn't want to talk about these things. But it was more like about uh, uh, he told me that you can't have proper South Indian food in Sweden because only in South India we can make proper South Indian food. So it was. Um, It's a very enjoyable conversation, and um, at the end of it, he actually told me, would you like to see my study? And then we walked into his study where he was working at the time, and he had a desk and all these things. So, uh, um, this is, I think, the most beautiful moment in my whole life.
1: Right. I mean, I really uh, enjoyed reading about that encounter in your book, Uh... Uh, and uh, yeah, I, I mean, that's a moment all writers would look forward to to meet uh, somebody who's a legend in their uh, domain. Uh, now, go, moving back uh, to further south, maybe, or maybe further to the north, maybe, I don't know. So, you you talk about uh, Kungunadu food. I mean, a lot of people in the north, when they talk about or when they discuss South Indian cuisines, they are quite familiar with Chetinad food and all. So, can you? Talk about your experience of Kongunad food. Like how did you get there? I think you talk about it when you land up in Tirupur, mm. which Pankaj Mishra you said dismissed it in one line as it's a, it's a what, city of underwear makers or something like that. I don't remember. And then you found a lot more to it than underwear. So just tell us about your Kongunad experience, culinary and otherwise.
0: Yeah, I mean, Pankaj Mishra, he, he I mean he wrote a famous travelogue, Patachkin in Lutiana, which you refer to which is, I mean, which is like an amazing travelogue. But in particular about Kongunad, he gets off the bus, he talks to one person, and then he sort of jumps on the next bus, deciding that this is not worth writing about. So I kind of thought uh, that it might be worth writing about because, I mean, there are a lot of historical reasons, why Tirupur is important and Kongunad region is important. there's a lot more to uncover there if one actually looks deeper into it. So, I started thinking about these things. Uh, I think it was an eye-opener for me that like some place that can be completely dismissed by another person can actually be full of treasures for another uh, travel writer. So, it's not like I don't mean to say this as a competition between me and Pankaj Mishra as travel writers or whatever, but uh, Kogunad cuisine, for example, is like really exciting because it has like these ancient roots in that seem to be uh, uh, dating back like thousands of years. Uh, And it has influenced all these other uh, cuisines. Uh, like uh, Chetina cuisine and it's sort of related to the South Tamil Nadu cuisine and yet it's not fully known but it's sort of a cuisine because my book is about food and eating and all that it's a sort of cuisine that is really uh, back to the roots in the way that like elsewhere in in, 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 uh, India It's really, you don't really come across that kind of uh, ancient cuisine. Like um, in in Punjab, of course, you will get tandoori chicken and tandoori chicken may have been maybe dated back to Harappan era. But in a general sense, um, the Kona cuisine and on the whole Tamil cuisine on a larger sense also, it ha- It's very historical. The way the food is uh, done, served, and uh, the ingredients that are involved in the food. There's a lot of uh, deep history in the food. these says, but in in Kaguna especially, I think.
1: Right. So uh, I I was I was expecting to read a lot of uh, different stuff about various states and their cultures and so on. But I was quite uh, surprised. I love Bihar. I love people from Bihar. I was quite surprised. Why did you go to Bihar as a foreigner? I was just curious.
0: Well, my experience has always been very pleasant, like whenever I go to Bihar. I mean, people are so uh, hospitable and... Friendly, it's the Bihar chapter where you talk about the
1: not so pleasant experience. I mean, the EM Foster's description of how these entire plains on the banks of the Ganges they sort of get flooded and people mm-hmm. fall and drown, and yeah, then, right. And after that, uh, you go there and then you have a different experience,
0: yeah. So that's a bizarre thing. Like, lots of people have this attitude about Bihar, and people I know tell me, Oh don't go to Bihar, you won't come back home alive. But whenever I've gone to Bihar, I find that uh, it's um, amazingly uh, hospitable and like people are really friendly. So there's a thing, you know, like that uh, difference between, between the perception and the actual th- experience, which sort of um, uh, is mismatching in a, in a way. I mean, mean, I'm sure like in any place in the world, you will find trouble if you want trouble, but uh, I don't think uh, uh, the reputation of Bihar is so... I mean, it's a a lovely place to go to as as a tourist. So, like there's no harm to go there. Like all these people who say that don't go there, I think they're completely wrong. I mean, it's uh, it's a bit of a rubbish type of attitude because it's a a very interesting place to go to. Sorry, I got a bit upset by your question.
1: Okay, I didn't realize you got upset. Okay. Okay, now I'll ask you a question which probably will make you really upset. So you talk about uh, Delhi, which is a city I live in, and then you say the Delhi chart, Delhi chart, you know, chole bhature and all that. It's essentially a germicide. I mean, are you serious? You're comparing chart to Dettol and Savlon. Like, where I? How did you come to this conclusion?
0: No, it's not me. I mean, it's like in uh, history books. It's uh, I was looking at like the history of chart in Delhi when I was writing that chapter of the book. Uh, and i found that uh, they are frequently mentioned in uh, historical uh, tomes that uh, uh, and essays and papers in academic papers it keeps coming up uh, that uh, that is the fact that the chart was uh, started as a way to purify the uh, Water, like because uh, it inc- it includes water, no. So you have to put certain spices that uh, kills the germs, and to make a uh, meal. And it's uh, it's not like I don't know if it's hundred percent sure, but it's not improbable because even the Bangalore beer and industry which we uh, talked about before, it sort of started because uh, they wanted uh, safe drinking water for the troops. And, uh, beer, if you brew like a mild grade alcohol, it's, uh, it's uh, becomes, um, I mean, it, it uh, the bacteria dies. So, the, so I think like in many of the old foods, to take this to a sort of conclusion, is that old foods are old drinks, is that people figure that you can disinfect your, uh, food by certain uh, ingredients or certain processes of making it so a uh, food history is in a way history of how to become healthy so whether it's like eating chart in delhi or whether it's uh, drinking beer in uh, bangalore it's about becoming a healthy human
1: right the food history is also history of how to become
0: healthy let me add to that if if, uh, if you don't have chart and beer, you might die from unhealth.
1: That's a dire warning. I think uh, all listeners would do well to take that warning seriously. Now, in towards acting on that warning, I wanted to ask you a last question. No, we I invited along with you your tummy also to this podcast. I haven't asked any questions specifically. Mm. So if you were to ask your tummy, which are the three best places for beer in India? Uh-huh. What would they be? Three best places, like meaning pl- places or like Spubs, pubs, dive bars. You know, atmosphere, not just beer. Like you, what, what would from based on your experience? It's a personal uh, ranking or a wish or whatever. It doesn't it's have to be like, an uh, objective. It be like a
0: particular yeah. address.
1: Yeah, 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 yeah. And maybe it could be any, anywhere in the subcontinent. It we can extend it beyond India. You you also written about having. A beer in uh, in Bhutan, where you waxed eloquent about Druk beer. So I was quite curious for, the, for like one little takeaway for our listeners in terms of places for beer, which you really loved. It could be you know not just what you drink, but also the whole ambience. You know the the place, location, everything.
0: Ah, huh. so it should be like a like address with uh, the street number and everything like that. No,
1: if possible, otherwise the general. Arrow in the direct, in the right direction would help. Huh. You could say maybe not far from Mars, you know, in the Milky ah, Way. I be, yeah, yeah,
0: I, I get your point. Yeah, so um, yeah, Bhutan any day, but that's not like um, on the metro line from your house. So I, I would say, like in Bangalore, I would say any day Koshi's. Very old style beer cafes that uh, I hope will never vanish. So it's always a good place to drop in for a beer. I would also think of the military cafe in, uh, or Cafe Military in Bombay as a place that uh, should exist forever. Because. Okay, Cafe Military, where which uh, where in Bombay is. near Flora Fountain. You walk down that lane. Uh, uh, Mahatma Gandhi had his office and then you come to uh, just uh, at the next corner and then when you turn from there, you'll come to that uh, the stock exchange and all these things. Right, right, so right. This right, is yeah. like yeah, a yeah, very uh, old Parsi place called Cafe Military which has been around forever and it's so beautiful, you know, like you see, I mean, some people might step into there thinking, uh, "Oh, this is really not their place." But but when I step into there, I I feel like, "Oh, uh, it's the most wonderful uh, place in the world." I mean, so nicely old fashioned and and all the like details, like the chairs, the everything is so uh, pretty, so. And the food is really good. It's all Parsi type food and all that kind of thing. So, one of those rare um, Parsi cafes that has remained and, and uh, where one can have a beer. Well, then, Bharaganj, there's in Delhi, there's, um, it's a bit of a adventure because it's a, it's a kind of a tourist place, but uh, there's a lot of nice beer joints.
1: Right, you don't. I mean, you you mean any random beer joint would be like fine to sort of explore. No, I don't have any particular recommendation to make. I mean,
0: it's just like be adventurous. No, uh, this is like uh, this. Uh, it's a, like hippie territory. Like the hippies used to come there, like what, like seventy years ago, or sixty years ago, fifty years ago, and some of these joints still remain from that time. It's like a uh, uh, it should be like a declared a historical mm-hmm. monument the Pahagand, um a heritage zone, zone because uh, the whole hippie movement you know hippies, no, they were big in the 1960s there was all this like uh, peace love, uh, flowers and all that and they were doing all kinds of and the lonely planet guidebooks and everything, you know, it's all part of the hippie movement Like all these people passed through this place and you think of like, oh, this uh, flower power, uh, uh, 60s children and all these things. I mean, they were all there. They were all there at uh, that time in the 60s, early 70s and all. It's like uh, an amazing cultural territory that is not being really used as a tourist destination, attraction.
1: Right. I mean, you are absolutely right there. I mean, Paharganj uh, does, uh, it does not feel like the rest of uh, contemporary Delhi, if I may put it, it sort of harks back to an older, uh, somewhat gentler version of uh, what we have uh, in the capital today. And it's also, I think, completely what you're saying about the hippie movement, uh, which was uh, uh, this is one of the nodal spots, the hubs, uh, so to speak, you know all this peace, love, flowers mm. uh, was very much a part of the ambience then now, me of me course it's, uh, we need more of peace love and flowers now, yeah, rather than hate and violence, if I may say so. So thank you so much, Zach. It was amazing talking to you about your book about food, literature, books, writers, places, Bonda, Bundi, everything in India it's like a great uh, it's like a thali where everybody would find uh, something of what they really love to talk into and also discover new aspects of the country and of the food cultures that they love and can learn a lot more from it thank you so much for joining us and for talking about your book pleasure to have you in hindu on books podcast
0: thank you so much thank you for listening to the hindu on books you can now find The Hindu's podcasts such as In Focus and Parley on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher and other major platforms. Write to us with comments and feedback at Sockmed4, S-O-C-M-E-D-4 at the rate thehindu.co.in.